Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks. Welcome back to the Mountain West Wire football podcast. Another preview. And it's one that uh, the people voted for, Matt, over mm-hmm. over on our Twitter, MWR.com, MWCWire, where you find all of our stuff. We're down to four teams, and we're doing Boise State today, and some of our Boise guys are like, let them be last, but no, the people have spoken, and it was like a one percentage vote difference for Boise State, so we're talking to Broncos today. We give the people what they want. We do. When we, they want it. Well, maybe not win. We have a little bit of control over win, though, because we could choose only the four teams to vote on. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Though. Yes, but it was. I look at the voting. I rarely see it go to percentage points. It was that close. And hmm. being like within a percent or two of like we had what San Jose State, uh, Fresno State, and New Mexico, right? I no, think, San, yeah. No, San Jose. Yeah. Well, it was very close to what we did. So we're doing these teams next. Um, in Boise State, which uh, I believe Matt, they're a pretty good team. I've heard over the past couple of decades, right? pretty good. <laughs> That's maybe putting it mildly. <laughs> so we started that last year. So like the little blurb. So what, what happened last year to people who may not have known? Kind of give them the cliff notes. Oh, oh, you know, they, they only went 11-2 and two and won another Mountain Division title and won another conference title. And, you know, even though the year didn't necessarily end well with the Las Vegas Bowl loss to Washington, you know, I've, I've, it's been interesting watching the conversation happen among uh, Boise State fans throughout the offseason because, you know, I, was, I forget who exactly it was that mentioned it, but they were like, Boise State was kind of a mess last year. And objectively, yeah. you stand back and you're like, well, th- that's a hell of a mess to have for <laughs> pretty much any other program in the country. 88% and, of teams like to have a, a season that didn't go smoothly but still win over 10 games. Yeah, you know, just because you know you would say I, the way that I would put it is that it wasn't too bad for a team that had some serious transition because you know just looking in terms of like net points per drive, for instance, the only team that was better than they were was Air Force. We talked about that a little bit in the Falcons podcast, but you know they were equally strong on both sides of the ball. You know they were twentieth in net points earned on offense and thirty third on defense, and you know despite bringing in a new starting quarterback. And then having to start two other quarterbacks and breaking in a new 
you know, wide receiver pair despite breaking in or, or rather instilling a new freshman running back into the equation, their yards per play on offense was basically exactly where it was in 2018 and was even better on defense than it was in 2018. So, you know, I think you take all that into consideration when you look forward to 2020, because, you know, a lot of those pieces that I've alluded to are back. But now, you know, you're you're looking at the second wave of transition. So there's still probably the obvious favorites in a lot of people's eyes, myself included. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that they're going into the season without questions. Yeah, because, we'll get... you know, no, nobody's nobody's accepted from that uh, in, in the Mountain West in 2020. No, because a quick before we get to each position, like offensive line replaces nearly everybody. They keep one guy back. Um, they only bring back 11 total starters on both sides of the ball. Um, like I mentioned, quarterback Hank Bachmeyer only played eight games, had injuries. Um, can he stay upright with a brand new built offensive line, replacing NFL draft picks? And so there's it's the thing with Boise. It's like it's what we always say. Like until until they prove us wrong, we're probably going to lean toward them figuring things out more often than not. But there are yeah. questions. Like you're right. Like running back will be fine. Receivers should be really good, despite losing a couple of top guys. Like they have talent rolling in from behind. Like. The only two positions on offense where, like, they bring back their starters are running back and quarterback, essentially. So there's a lot. Of, it's a it's a good mi- it's a mix of okay, we need they need to improve here, but they also have enough talent coming back. And again, like Brian Harson's won over ten and a half games every year at Boise State, so it's like, well, they're gonna probably get to that range or close to it anyways. So it's gonna be a mi- there's not like there are areas where okay, they're question marks, but there are the areas where it's like there's no need to worry about it, but it's still gonna be. A year where they're expected to, most places, including us, project them to win the Mountain West title, particularly with uh, Donald Hammond no longer at Air Force, or most likely not at Air Force, can't say officially, but he's likely not playing. And then between like them, Cincinnati, and UCF for the group of five, if there is a bowl game for the New Year's Six, like, that's their goal pretty much every year, and that's not going to change, even with questions they do have on this team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's worth mentioning at the jump, so I don't mention it again and again, position by position. You know, we've we've talked on previous podcasts about how, you know, X team might have the best, you know, Z unit in the in the in the conference or something like that. And I think I've mentioned things to that effect of you know, Wyoming might have the deepest defensive line in the conference, and mm-hmm. Hawaii might have the deepest offensive line in the conference, but you know kind of building off of your point about how Boise State tends to figure things out, that's because going into 2020 again, I think it's safe to say that this is the deepest team in the conference, period. I can see that, yeah. The only area of concern for me is their offensive line, really, of not being that deep. Yeah, that's I mean, about we'll it. get to that. But, but I mean, overall, I yeah, yeah. even then, you know, I think it, it helps to have options because, you know, you see in a lot of instances where when a star gets hurt, and the team is affected maybe more than you would expect to. You know, we've seen over the last 20 years that Boise State can lose a guy. And, and and last year was no exception. We'll go, we'll talk about it when we go through it. But another guy steps up and they hardly miss a beat. Yeah. So let's just should we get a quarterback? Is that where we start yeah, off? Yeah, let's at? start there because so, I think that's maybe the best example of that. Yeah, so Hig Bachmeyer, I will say clear number one starter. Yes. I don't know if anybody, there's some people out there, just some Jack Sears fans who might disagree. But I can mention he played eight games. He had, what did he have, a shoulder and ankle injury, I believe? It's two different things. I don't I mean, recall exactly. They're they're pretty quiet on it. But I think that San Jose State game is a shoulder thing. 
but he only played like only eight games. Played whatever game he played, he started it. So the only games they lost to start was the bowl game where they brought in Jalen Henderson, which again, stupid. I'll still say it again, dumb coaching decision for them. And people could come at me, but it was dumb for Hurst to not play him when he was healthy. Um, they lost to BYU, and that was it, I think. And he hmm. didn't start that game. And so he's undefeated as a starter. He got knocked around a ton, even though he had that offensive line that was uh, every starter back. He still got beat up a lot, got sacked a decent amount. But he showed and did poise by winning games every game, essentially. You know what I mean? He didn't lose. Yeah. So, like, there's that, and he's only going to get better. And then they mentioned Jack Sears, who grad transfer for a hot second, was at San Diego State from USC, coming to Boise, which I still think it's a weird fit. There could be other reasons, like maybe education thing or a coaching thing he wants to do, but he's going to be battling Chase Court for the number two spot. Like I don't see any scenarios, particularly with very limited fall practice, that he's going to come in and even challenge Bachmeyer for any sort of reps. No, I mean, I definitely think you're right about that, but I think if we learned anything about Hank Bachmeyer in 2019 – it's that we, at least to start with, we kind of have a pretty good sense of his strengths and his weaknesses. Definitely. Where, in the sense that we we know now that he's got the arm to make virtually any throw that a college quarterback would need to make. And with somebody in his face. <laughs> we know he's got toughness. Yes, definitely. But, you know, the double-edged sword to that is, you know, one of the biggest narratives of, of his time as a starter last fall was the fact that he got hit a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that I would assume he was working on in the offseason is just, you know, and then I think the two things are related, but like improving his decision making to be able to get rid of the ball faster and also, you know, maybe working on improving his internal clock a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we saw the upside where, you know, he was he, like he averaged, I think, over eight yards per pass. He was number one in the conference, if I'm not mistaken, on a, a yards per attempt basis. But, you know, you also saw the downside where, you know, he came in the bowl game and he was, you know, had some rash decision making that didn't necessarily work out for him. So we kind of saw the best of both worlds. And I think that, you know, as he continues on as a starter, that most of those most of those issues will iron themselves out with coaching, with practice, with repetition and things like that. But, you know. The, the fact that they still have one of the conference's best insurance policies as a backup in, in cord uh, is one of those undervalued assets. You might not think about it in the preseason, but it helps to know that there's not going to be much of a drop off in the passing game if he has to come in for even a game or two. Because over the last couple of years, I think he's acquitted himself very well. Like he got more playing time in 2019 than he did in 2018. Mm -hmm. But I would say that he more than held his own. You know, he completed 60% of his passes, had nine touchdowns against three interceptions as a passer. And, you know, even though he wasn't quite as strong on a, on a per attempt basis, there was no slouch in that department. He was still averaging over seven yards per attempt, which is pretty good. And, you know, to your point about Sears, I think you're right that, I, I find it very hard to imagine that he's going to come in and push for the starting role. But I think if they have, you know, I think a healthy competition for that backup role wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world for, you know, a, a quarterback who, if he gets hurt again, there's, a, I would say, a significantly more than a non-zero chance, not to say like 50-50 or anything like mm-hmm. that, but they they might need that backup quarterback scenario where he takes over for a game or two. They could because it's we've seen it for years. But I still, I if I'm going to my pecking order, the way the off season's played out, it's got to be Cord my clear number two. And also remember, he had an ACL two years ago, 
And mm-hmm. so he's he played last year a little bit, like erratic. Like we saw him try to run a bit more. He wasn't as a like we know Hockmar sits in the pocket, will take the hit and throw. Cord's not quite that level. He would he would step up to make throws, but he'd kind of run left and right, kind of scramble a little bit to make some plays, which yeah, works sometimes. Sometimes he didn't. But with his knee, another year, another confidence level of being back from that severe injury, he, he he's going to be even better. So they're in good shape regardless. I just think Sears is going to be number three guy, partly because this is his only shot. Cord still has two more years, which he'll be the number two, clearly, because unless something weird happens to Bachmeyer. But that's the way I see it played out, the depth chart. And again, like we'll go through all these positions where they have depth and options. And... And we've seen also Coach Harson, like I disagreed with him not putting in Pachemeyer even in a couple series in the last couple of games when he was healthy over Jalen Henderson, who started, what, four games at the end. Mm-hmm. Played quite well, excluding that uh, Washington game, the bowl game. But like he will play stick with guys in there. If they're playing well, that's probably another reason why I stuck with Henderson. He's like, okay, we're going to win. He's doing fine. He's playing well. He'll stick him in there. So if Pachemeyer goes down for a minute or two, he, they're, they're going to be fine pending opponent or there's a couple of scenarios where he may go back but where he'd be confident like we've seen this guy play we could win we know who the opponent is we'll be fine without him so we'll give the guy an extra week so they'll be fine in this position like overall Bachmeyer probably going to be the first team quarterback or he was I believe most everywhere for the all-conference award so he's going to be the likely the best QB in the conference and so they're they're all set even court like he started he's played enough there it's not like they're throwing in some new guy so it's it's a position of strength clearly for them and so they'll be fine mm-hmm all right, running backs. Did you know, Matt, do you know off the top of your head how many 1,000-yard rushers Boise State's had consecutively? Yeah, it's 12, isn't it? Close, 11. They're going for 12. I thought they had 12. I thought Helani made 12. Um, I, I have here it says 11. I've, I've done a lot of research recently for the watch lists. I'm almost certain that it's 12. Okay, I'll go with you. It's a long time. That's my point. So there, it's he, a long time. Yeah, and also every running back, like all going back, like this is what, like people think Boise's like, oh, you got great quarterbacks, but and good defenders like Demarcus Lawrence and Leighton Vander Esch, NFL and Curtis Weaver next. Like they're probably they should be most well known for running backs going to NFL draft essentially. Like they have a ton of talent in that position, and you have like it's going to be George Lawn, and we've mentioned this a million times. Like the running back position in the conference is super deep. Like. He's, he, he could challenge for first team, but when you guys have like Xavier Valade, Charles Williams, Ronnie Rivers, um, Air, whoever you want to put Air Force, Kater Remsburg, there's a lot of guys. So he he may not even be a second team running back, but still be really, really good and get 1,000 yards. So you have him there. You had hit 1,000 yards last year, clearly. You have other guys like Andrew Van Buren and Robert Mahone who played here and there okay. Like they, It's the same thing. They have a lot of talent and returning talent. And so there's a position where, like, they have a clear workhorse, but they've always, it's like San Diego State, they always seem to have a number two or number three that could step up for the most part. Maybe not as explosive as the Aztecs for that number two spot, but they have enough guys. If something goes wrong with Helani for a minute or two, or he's whatever needs a spell or sub, like there's no reason to see a huge downgrade. Yeah, I mean, I think over the past several years, we've seen it both ways from the Broncos where, you know, in 2018, for instance, Alexander Madison had like what, 300 some odd carries or something like that. Right. A lot. Yeah. It was 302. Mm -hmm. I had to look that up real quick. But you know, the year before that, they were more than happy to really split time between Madison and Ryan Wolpin. And so I don't necessarily think that they have to be inclined to increase Holani's workload if they don't have to, because I think we saw, 
more often than not that the three-headed committee they had of Holani, Robert Mahone, and Andrew Van Buren was, I would say, more than adequate. You know, they both, they all, all three of them averaged over four yards of carry. Mahone was 4.78 and Van Buren was 4.27. And between the three of them, they combined for, if my math is correct, 15 touchdowns last year. And more importantly, you know, between the three of them, they were averaging 20, 21 carries per game or 23 carries per Mm -hmm. game, excuse me. And I think that's the kind of balance they want. Like, I don't know that they necessarily want to have a validated type back where Kalani or, or whomever is having to carry it 20 times a game. Because, again, when you're as deep as they are, you know, you can spread that workload around and, you know, maybe against opponents in particular who don't have that kind of depth to match. You know, if you have fresh legs in the third and fourth quarter, that works to your advantage in the long run. Yeah, we saw it. Was it the title game when they played first or the first time? Um, who went down? Was it um, was it Madison who went down with the injury? I think it was, yeah, and then Wolpen took over. Came over in, like, the fourth quarter and just kind of, I started to bring up the, the old wounds, Matt, but he came I through him. I forgive you. And he's, like, he's a fresh guy, came in, just kind of run, 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 and he hasn't played a ton and just kind of uh, wore down a really good first on defense. I would... And that's what they could do here. I would assume Holani, since he's a freshman last year, maybe he'll get two ten carries. Like he'll get a little bit more. Like he was at, his per game was just under fourteen. Like if he mm-hmm. gets to fifteen carries, like one and a half more, two more per game, I could see that being reasonable because he's a younger guy. They not they're holding him back last year, but let's see what he can do. Give him a couple more game. But I don't think they're going to get to twenty plus because you think as much as Xavier Valade ran the ball two forty seven. You mentioned. Um, who was it? Madison, three hundred two in twenty eighteen. That's still yeah. sixty short, sixty plus shorter than Valade. But if he gets like two hundred and twenty carries or two fifteen, that's probably what they want to do with him being the main back. And then we'll see what else they do running the ball. But he is going to challenge with with Charles Williams, Valade, um, Toa Tao, like all those guys. Remsburg, the Ronnie Rivers, Miles Reed. There's a lot of good running backs, and whoever steps up for San Diego State, like. Even if he's the sixth best back in the conference, that's still probably a thousand yard guy. Well, and to that point about, you know, fresh legs in the fourth quarter, I think it's worth noting that when you look at the situational stats, Polani, when he was receiving playing time, got more carries as the games generally went along. You know, in the first quarters of games, he saw 36 and then 41, 55, and 58. And in that fourth quarter, especially, he was a very effective closer because that was when he averaged five and a half yards per carry. And so I think, you know, to that point, I think that, you know, whether it's him or, or Mahone or Van Buren who gets those carries, I think that they've got multiple dependable options where they don't necessarily need to key themselves into one kind of game plan or another. Yeah. Just bringing that up more like he had the most 20 plus yard runs with three. He had the most attempts and this is all fourth quarter numbers, most attempts, the most yards, um, second in TDs, three well, other guys had four. So like, yeah. he, and he like he was near the top was when the game got down the line. So that could be, maybe that's him again, which it could be where maybe they spread the carries out a bit. I don't know how they're going to do it, but if he's doing this as a freshman, imagine another year working out, another year getting stronger because they could all work out now and do all that stuff. You know, I mean, it's, nothing's not everything's off limits, folks, at the moment. But if he gets just gains another ten or so pounds. And they have another guy, and they split it up, and like, all right, and do the same plan as last year, where he gets carries a bit more, because fifty-eight carries in fourteen games is like what four or five in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and it's whatever that may be, it comes out to. But it's going to be something where it could be him, or it could be another guy, and they have like they did last year's a new guy. Imagine when he again, like all the things I just mentioned of him coming back and just 
getting better and doing and like even at Van Buren, really quick, he had almost thirty carry. He had twenty seven carries and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Like he was doing yeah. just as well. So it's it's going to be one of those guys. It could be a mixed bag. It could be somebody else, but they have the depth and talent where maybe Holani does get two more carries per game, but he gets seven in the fourth quarter instead of in the first half or something, or they can situationally sub. It's like all right, we got two minutes left at halftime. It's a they're not in any extreme hurry to go for a touchdown. It's like, well, let's let them, sit, let's let them rest for a minute and get that break plus halftime or exactly. some, something like that, which teams do like in the two-minute warning or NBA stuff like that or when there's a media timeout, they do the strategic subbing and where we'll shave them now and you'll get the stuff later. But it's a unit overall. Like, I don't know. I need to go through our polls because we did like a staff vote for this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'd put them overall. I don't think that put them ahead of Air Force as a complete unit, but I wouldn't – I could have a, I could easily argue for them being the number two overall depth position at running back. They're definitely in that conversation, yeah. Probably just, I'd say just be on Air Force and I, whatever, I think they'd be number two in depth overall. It's because they have. And so it'll be, again, what it comes down to, we'll get the offensive line, but with all those new guys up there, that could be the only wrench thrown into this being a really good or, or an elite running unit. Yeah. So any, anything else to add in, in this particular uh, position for you? I don't think so, no. What do we get at receivers? Well, I mean, I think if there's like a mild question on offense, you know, it's, it's, you know, are they going to identify or they're going to, is there going to be a wide receiver that reaches the heights of their previous kind of top receivers, you know, guys like the Matt Millers or the John Hightowers or Cedric Wilson's were who, when they were very, you know, you know, very clearly the number one guy that they were like a thousand yard guy, or in the case of like someone like Hightower, you know, he didn't top a thousand yards, but he was still obviously very potent as both a, a big play pass catcher and as a return guy. So, you know, and it's not to say that again, they don't have options here because they very clearly do, Fine. but like, you know, take Khalil Shakir, for instance, you know, he's kind of a darling by both the traditional metrics and the advanced metrics. He was actually, according to Pro Football Focus, the number one player anywhere in the conference that's coming back, you know, their highest graded player, excuse me, anywhere in the conference coming back for 2020, but he plays in the slot. Yes. Are they going to ask him to move outside or is he going to continue playing in the slot? And, you know, if he continues in the role that, you know, helped him break out in 2019, you know, who's going to take over those outside spots? And so I, I look at, you know, the pair of C.T. Thomas and Octavius Evans in particular, and I think for those two guys, like the time is now because we've been kind of waiting for them to take a step forward, at least as far as you know production, um, you know, in the passing game over the last couple of years. And they've been kind of those third or fourth bananas more often than not. And so, you know, I think those are very clearly the two guys who probably have the inside track to a starting role outside. But you know, Boise being Boise, they've got a legion of young dudes behind them, guys like, you know, Stephen Cobbs or Shea Whiting, Billy Bowens, mm-hmm. or even true freshmen like Latrell Caples, who could easily push them for playing time and secure a role like that. And so, you know, I think the biggest kind of piece of evidence to this effect is that last year, you know, Boise State led the Mountain West in 20 yard passing plays. And that was despite throwing the fifth most passes. So, what happens if that evaporates a little bit, like that explosive elements? And so I think if there's one thing in particular that I'm looking for out of the guys coming back is, are they going to be able to recreate what Hightower 
you know, what guys like Wilson have been able to do in the past, which is bring that big play element to the passing game. Because I think Shakir is one option that can do that. But I don't know off the top of my head whether there's another one that's an obvious answer to that question. I think also what will help them if Octavius Evans is healthy. Yeah. Like he's been injured and he had, I think, what, 30-some career catches. Mm-hmm. He, could, he could maybe get that this year by himself, 30 to 40. And so yeah. if, if he's healthy, there's that. And Shakir also, like you mentioned what he played, like he also had th- had three rushing touchdowns and threw a touchdown pass. So is he yes. is, is he going to be still use that same way? Because you had Boyce will do that for a lot of people. Either the quick, I guess technically rushing could be the swing pass, like behind the line scrimmage or whatever, not necessarily like a jet sweep or something. But that's what they do. It's like, is he going to, like you mentioned, still handle those duties or be a true number one? That's kind of a couple mm-hmm. questions. And you mentioned like one guy you mentioned, did you mention Billy Bones as well? Yes. Okay, the speedy guy. No catches so far. Maybe that'll come this year, but he's he's a fast guy. And so this, I guess this in their line, which we'll get to, is their most concerning area. But even the concern for receiver, I'm not overly concerned that they're going to take a step back because we have an elite quarterback like Bachmeyer. We've seen he can t- handle the throws. He can handle the hits. He can make adjustments. The only issue, and I have an issue, like he's played with all these guys. Like there's not the only, I was going to say like timing or stuff, but that just comes to practice and hopefully they can start practicing as typical or as close as possible this week or two to get their fourth, fifth, and sixth receivers in the loop of who that's going to be because their top three are clearly sets. But yeah. also what may help is if they have tight end John Bates. He's a monster. He's giant. Get him the ball closer in the red zone. Get him those 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 possession type throws you need, get him involved, and that could be a weapon they haven't had in a while. That's true. He's six six, two fifty five. Come on. How can you not find him? He's there. You're he's not there. you're not wrong. About you're not that. missing him. He's everywhere. I mean there, there's a reason he's been on the Mackey Award watch list for like two or three seasons in a row now. Prove it though, come on. That's the only issue. Yeah. Like he has it shown in the field, but like like this unit, the question marks when your question marks are who's your third, fourth, and fifth receiver, despite losing your number one and two from last year. Probably doing fine, right? You're pretty in pretty good shape, yeah. <laughs> All right, so offensive line. Is this the – are we both agreeing this is the biggest concern for success on this unit on offense? Yes. So, we mentioned, like you mentioned earlier, I was going to bring it up, I held off saying it, where they always – like the past couple years, like this is not just a Boise thing, but any team where you lose a starter here or there. They only played their typical starting five in eight of their 14 games last year. So mm-hmm. basically half the season, they didn't have their traditional starting lineup. So yeah. going to this year where they only have one guy returning, um, who is it? Um, that is John Ojuku. Sorry, I was going to say Mackle, but no, John Ojuku. He's moving from right to left tackle. Has he been announced our top 50 list yet? Was he like number uh, 50? He has. He was, I believe, number 38, if I'm Thir- not mistaken. 38, okay. I was just curious. But, four, I, forget, I forget exactly. Yeah, I don't have the list in front of me. It's okay. That, hey, check the list out. It's still going. We're heading into the top 30 as of right now, so it's getting juicy at the moment. Uh, but so you have him, but then they do bring in like a rice grad transfer. Let me try to not butcher his name. Uzumo Asoji, Asoji, I believe. And then Uzumo Ju- Asoji, yeah. That sounds about right. And then the Juco guy right and long, so they could step in. So those guys are, while not experienced with Boise State or even the level of play, because rice is a little bit different, but they have big time experience essentially beyond high school. And so you have those three guys probably starting. And so that's just finding the cohesiveness of the, that unit is going to be, again, the clearly the biggest thing. Losing guys like Ezra Cleveland, NFL Draft, losing all-conference guys on this team. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So that's going to be, it's going to be a big replacement, but again, prove us wrong before we say something really bad about any particular unit on this team. Yeah, I mean, those those aren't even the only guys who saw playing time yeah, last year. Yeah, there's a lot you know, more. There guys on, who were on the roster last year who saw, like Jake Stetz, for instance, I think is the best example of that. He actually started four games, two apiece at both right and left guard. Uh, Kikani uh, Okoa Holomalia Gonzalez. Good job. That. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he had two starts at guard. Um, you know, Garrett Curran as a sophomore, he, or as a brother, as a freshman, excuse me, had a, he started one game. So again, like, like with the wide receiver unit, it's not like they don't have options. It's just a matter of, you know, finding the guys to, you know, step up in these starting roles and then ensuring that they kind of coalesce in the same way that the, the really veteran heavy units of the last couple of years had, because when you look at how, you know, the offensive line was really able to perform last year. There's a very high bar to reach, you know, and I'll just throw out some of the same stats that I've thrown out in other past podcasts to make that point. You know, they were essentially top 25, top 30 in a lot of the advanced metrics, like line yards per carry. They were 22nd, you know, they were also 22nd in stuff rate, um, you know, 24th in opportunity rate, 27th in power success rate. And I think, if, you know, if there's one hindrance that I'm especially keeping an eye on, it's that they were roughly middle of the pack with a 6% sack rate allowed, which was 65th in the country. And so I think, you know, when it came to generating a run game, they were good in pretty much every facet of that, you know, creating holes, helping the running backs get to the second level. But if they are, let's say, I don't know, a top 40 offensive line or a top 50 offensive line, that's when you start looking at some of those close games that went Boise State's way last year you know, that's the difference between, you know, one or two more stalled drives per game. And that could be the difference between one or two losses that they had or that they didn't have last year that they could have this year. So, yeah, I think going back to the original question, is it the biggest question? Yeah, because there's a lot of pieces to replace. And, you know, when you think in terms of returning production, you know, offensive line starts isn't necessarily the most important factor in returning production. But... You know, conventional football wisdom, I think, holds true here is that a good offensive line helps everything else go. And so making sure that that's in place is definitely crucial. So do you think, from what you're saying, I think we're on the same page, like it should be even a, with all the guys who played last year, like you mentioned, the name I'm not going to repeat because you nailed it the first time. <laughs> but um, if they're playing three to four games a year, it's... I guess the only thing you want is a consistent find out who those other two guys are. Because assuming the Juco guy and the Rice guy are going to come in and start most likely, you would think. But having guys who played all every, enough last year, even three to four games, clearly it it sucks to say, but it has your upside if you lose guys' injuries the year before to get backups considerable playing time. Yeah. And so this, to me, is still their biggest concern. And with here's the, here's the thing that's also when I look at Bachmar got hit so many times including that Florida State game, like that was with an experienced offensive line. How is he going to handle it when there's basically a brand brand new set of guys in front of him and one your key guy who's back is changing positions? Yeah. And so that that's a concern too for his comfort level, despite him probably playing with everybody but the two newcomers at some level. It's just, 
a different type of football. Not, I mean, a different, but it's like a comfort level for him. And last year, imagine you're playing your backup and shotgun. You see a different guy at each position almost every other week. And so that's all I mean. I guess that's a big thing for him. Like, how's he going to handle having new guys? And hopefully, there's health is uh, the injury luck factor reverses courses, and they have the same starting lineup in 12 or 14 games or something, or however many games they play in 85% of the games instead of maybe half. And that's going to go a long way. So that's what I think will be the biggest thing. I, I don't think that, I don't think it'll be a repeat of last year for guys getting hurt. I could be wrong, but usually it's just kind of dumb luck sometimes for how injuries pile up occasionally, or at least it seems that way. Reverse that, mm-hmm. reverse that a little bit, and it'll be fine because these guys will play together. They got the opener. I'm going to get Georgia Southern, like Air Force. It'll be tough, but they'll be – it'll just take some coaching to get these guys together. That's about it. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, defense, I guess, is that we're going to – that's what that's what's after offense. So defense, um, boys defense. It's uh usually pretty good, right? Is that the case? Not too bad. That, uh, that was the case last year. No, they they're always a good defense. Like when you look at overall, what they do, like you have. Excuse me, my headphones are jacking me up here. Um, but overall, it's like it's it's again. I kind of joke, but hey, they should be known for running backs. Really, they should be known for a lot of positions and defense because this is not like the whack years ago where they'd score or even a couple years ago, forty points a game, fifty points a game. Their defense is really, really good. And yeah. I don't see that changing too much this year, even by losing. Like, I think they only have, I guess, they, yeah, they bring back six starters, so it's still just over half. But when you lose uh, some guys like Curtis Weaver and other guys like Moa, it's gone. It, people think it's going to be down, a downturn, but that's usually not going to be the case. I don't think that's going to be the case this year at all. Because uh, didn't they have the, they had the most sacks last year? We talked about before, like the yards per rushing on defense is like three and a half, like better than expected. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that'll be repeat performance, but heck, even if it's ten percent worse, it's still gonna be really good overall. Yeah, and but I think that you know when you start looking at exactly who they have coming back, it does kind of reveal what I would consider to be the biggest question on either side of the ball, mm. which is you know how well the defensive line gels because uh, you know Chase or not Chase Curtis Weaver. Mm-hmm is obviously the big name that's you know, gone to Miami, exactly. you know, gone to the NFL. But he's not the only guy who was productive on the defensive line last year. You know, Chase Atata was right there with him step for step for most of the year. David Moa, Sonatani Louis, all those guys are gone. And I think, you know, how far Boise State ultimately goes in 2020 could depend a lot on how well the new unit coalesces because – you know, I think to a lesser extent than with the offensive line, there's more uncertainty about the guys that they're bringing in because, yes, they do have Scale Egyehan coming back in the middle, and he's going to be a very good, solid anchor on the interior, and they do have Sam Whitney coming back from injury as well. And but you know, can Dimitri Washington, for instance, he looked sharp down the stretch when when Weaver was limited by injury. But how well is he going to perform over a new season? You know, how are guys like, you know, Juco transfer Shane Irwin going to step up and produce? Because, you know, with a lot of those same metrics that I threw out a minute ago for the offensive line and how good they were, you know, in terms of, you know, the entirety of college football, you could make a reasonable case as just like a top 10 or 15 defensive line last year. Just, you know, going down the line of those same numbers, you know, they were 13th in night line yards per carry allowed. They're 17th in offense, or excuse me, opportunity rate allowed, fourth in power success rate, 20th in, in stuff rate, and you know they had a 7.5% sack rate, which was you know just inside the top 40 nationally. So, 
you know, the bar is even higher for those new guys coming in, having to, having to, you know, create havoc on that same level. So I, I'm, I think it's a, a fair question to pose, you know, can those, can that new group produce at that level? Because, you know, that's another of those things where even if there's a little bit of aggression to the mean, what is that ultimately going to be? What, what is that going to look like on a game to game basis? You know, an extra first down for an opponent, for instance, or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, like a third and four versus a third and seven or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that may not show up on the, like the macro level, but on the micro level, that's one of those things where if they aren't as productive as they were, that can make a huge amount of difference. It did. And they kind of overcame what the linebacker group was not great last year. They only had two force fumbles and interception all last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not good. Demetri Washington, back to him. Like I'm looking up here. He had four sacks in the final five games, but also, that was also like the lowest part of the schedule or the easiest opponents like New Mexico and whoever. That's the reason why quarterback uh, Bachmar didn't come back in. They're playing like the lower part of the schedule. So what do you expect from that? It's like, okay, is it experience? Is it really talent that he finally got better the last couple of games? Or is it a byproduct of who you're playing? It could be all three and none of those are wrong. But I think he, I think Washington could be like the breakout player for this Boise defense to be like, why don't we have this guy in our top 50? Why is this guy not preseason all-conference? Why is he not here or there? I think he could be the guy, but with the line losing so much, the linebacking group has to step up because you can't have just a, what I mentioned, the two force fumbles and one pick on the linebacking group. It's because the defensive line was able to, uh, was so good, it could cover up for how linebacking group wasn't really that good. And that's uh, you don't You don't think so? Well, a little bit. I'm like, but I'm, no, I'm saying no. I'm saying last year. That's why. They, like I'm gonna say it wasn't good. But I mean, when you're big play, when you don't make that many big plays, like you would expect for a group that was really good to have more than like one interception in that group. Not not a lot more, but make more plays, which they did fine. But I'm just. I also I could pick a few stats if I want to make it look good or look bad if we're thinking about it that way. But I, mean, I think with Boise State, it's not always the linebackers that are expected to be the disruptive guys. True. You know, because, the, you know, it's not just Weaver, you know, guys before him, like, you know, Shane McClellan or Kamala Correa, you know, guys mm-hmm. like that are, are the edge rushers. And so I think to your point about Washington being a really key guy, I definitely agree with that. You know, I'm, I guess I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe I'm a little sunnier on the outlook for the linebackers this year because, you know, even though they really only start, you know, three guys, two guys, you know, they run a four two five or something like that, but they've got yeah. four guys, I would say who could be a part of a very effective rotation. No, I definitely, I was just saying like for, for effective or good, if they are like with Wimpy and Brock Miller and those type of guys and saying where I just, I just look at some numbers. I was surprised by the few big plays they made. That's all like, you mm-hmm. know, like, no, I mean, I get your, that's all I just saying. think that that's not necessarily priority for them. No, it's not. I, I mean, mean because, I, because I think if you look at the linebackers, like we talked about with Bachmeyer, where I think the linebackers are the, the next best example of when a guy gets hurt, someone else t- steps up and they don't miss a beat because that is more or less happened to them two years in a row. You know, first with Wimpy, who was who missed nearly all of 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, he came back last year. He was awesome. Uh, and But, you know, last year they lost Ezekiel Noah earlier in the year. and He looked like he was on his way to being awesome before he got hurt. But, you know, Benton Wickersham stepped it up. The other guys stepped it up. And now they're bringing in Brock Miller from North Carolina State. And so I think that, you know, they may not necessarily have the household names in the way that like Utah State has had a David Woodward, for instance, or, you know, San Diego State has had a Kaiva Tizino. But I think for what that defense does, 
you know, the, the fact that they've got four guys who can step up and contribute a healthy amount is exactly the kind of situation that they want to be in on defense. All right, so what about their secondary position? They play four or five guys. They got some decent guys back there. Um, you know, I've heard of that one guy. Avery Williams is pretty good too, right? Returns kicks and the quarterback there. Who uh, they, That unit, like, when you look at who they've had over the years, it's always guys making making plays, making pass breakups, getting interceptions. And Williams, what was he? Was he a first-team guy preseason? Uh, yes. Under Yeah, he was a first-team – he was first-team – well – the only the, in preseason they only do one team, yeah. um, but he was listed as both a defensive back and a punt return. Yeah, I know, I know punt return. Yeah, it's like you have one of the best DBs back there. It all starts with him essentially for what you can do. It's like they're not going to have a, some guys like uh, a Luke Barku or something who just goes nuts. But Avery back there being a multi-year starter, it all starts with him. And like if he gets even better than last year, it's like watch out because it's anytime you have a good cornerback and you can take away third of the field, a quarter of the field, they never throw to you. It kind of sucks. Like, man, I got no stats. I'm not getting pass breakups. But then again, you're taking away that part of the field. That's like the best compliment you can have where they never, ever throw to you because you want to be challenged. But if they're not, it's like, well, fine. Make the other guys do it, and I take away half the field. And that's where he's kind of in that category of great DBs in the conference. Well, it's funny you mentioned Avery Williams because I have heard – or I have seen rather from many Boise State fans that he he might not even be like the second or third best player in this secondary. Well, that'd be pretty good if he's not, I guess, right? <laughs> and, and you know, just to be clear, you know, I think last year this was the best secondary this side of San Diego, and when you look forward to twenty twenty, they could be even better. You know, and that's despite losing you know guys like DeAndre Pierce and and other guys like that because. You know, you mentioned Williams, and you would—I'd say he was fine as a defender, as a cornerback. I think he made most of his hay as a punt returner. Oh, being yeah. totally honest. I'm just saying, like in general, if he's coming back to get that much better, he's that type of guy could be. But Jalen Walker looks like the next big thing. You know, he had his first full year, I think, as a starter, and really thrived in the role because I think, if I remember correctly, he led the team in pass breakups. He only had one interception, but broke up nine passes. You know, he's coming back. They've got Kekola Kanijo at the nickelback position. Three, three, yeah. One of the best all-around defenders in the in the conference, regardless of position. He's back. And, you know, again, this is another position or another unit where the depth is on display. You know, Markel Reed is back. He looked pretty good in, in play, limited playing time last year. You know, they've got Tyreek Jones and JL Skinner stepping up into the starting safety roles. Both of those guys looked really good. And so it's just, you know, it's one of those things where kind of an embarrassment of riches, I think, in the secondary more so than pretty much anywhere else on this team. Yeah, and you have all upperclassmen except for Skinner. And so there's that experience, like Mitch Walker, Williams, and Jones, all seniors this year. So yeah. that's always a, a positive thing to have. And then you have whoever's on the bench beyond that after those couple of guys. No, it's a great position to be deep. Um, and maybe if, if Walker's better than Williams, heck, that makes him one of the best secondaries around. Exactly. All right, so special teams. Oh, or is that good on defense? Anything else you want to add? Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. Special teams. Are they going to have a freshman putter kicking the ball? That is an excellent question. Gavin Well, I'm looking. I'm going through some starting lineups, and he's a lot of places. I think he'll be the guy replacing a senior kicker, which is not what you want. <laughs> well, I mean, to be or fair. Or maybe you do. I don't know. To be fair, Joel Velasquez, you know, relative to the – the rash of punting breakouts <laughs> elsewhere in the conference last year. 
um, I think it's safe to say he was severely underwhelming. You know, you look at special teams last year, it was basically Avery Williams, and then Eric Saxe was, was solid in his own right. Mm-hmm. And then Velasquez was just, he was he was there. Williams <laughs> made up for the punny deficiency on his returns to reverse that field position. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they could have a redshirt freshman punter coming in. And, and if I remember correctly, he's the brother of another former Boise State specialist, Sean Whale, I believe. Uh, possibly. I just know Boise State had the worst average net punting lot in the conference, so... And and they brought in a, a grad transfer kicker and Johnny Messina from Stetson. So, I think they're they're hoping that lightning kind of strikes twice in uh, bringing in a transfer kicker. But that's one of those things where it, I think maybe more so than some of the other questions we've talked about that if the special teams go sideways, you know we've we've seen Boise State plenty of Boise State fans in the past get really frustrated at their the lack of a kicking of consistent kicking game rather like you know um, when they play San Diego State and kick returns come against them for touchdowns or punt returns things like that yeah they just, just miss field goals things like that uprights so, aren't they, regulations I should get at yeah they took a step <laughs> in the right direction from from 2018 to 2019 but it's one of those things where like if, if Messina or Velasquez doesn't work out that's one of those things that could easily regress in the other direction yeah return game amazing kicking game TBD yeah all right, uh, here's what we're going to do real quick. Before we get to our uh, position, or not position, but a record prediction, I should say. We've done this before, not this year. I forgot to ask, but our buddy Raj wants to uh, provide some insights. And I see, is he going full Boise on this? I'm hopeful he does, right? Full blue guy. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that he does. I'm, I'm mostly thankful that they don't play Fresno State in the regular season. There you go. So, so <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. You'll hear that, and then we'll come back for our, for our projection to records. Yo, what's up, everyone? This is Raja Prabala at Raja Bleeds Blue. Um, Boise State homer, Boise State fanatic extraordinaire. Uh, Matt and Jeremy, I'm just going to shoot them some knowledge about what's going on with Boise State to put on this podcast. Um, they've probably gone over the team. Boise State's got a pretty loaded roster this year. Um, you know, top-notch quarterback, running back, wide receiver, uh, good tight ends. Um, linebackers are... Are, are talented they're coming back secondary is very young and talented the lines are just see some turnover but um there's talent there so i think i think boise state's got a really really good team coming um let's go ahead and look at the schedule um let's look at the schedule if we played the normal schedule okay we're not gonna get into some other conversation because um we gotta talk boise state football right now georgia southern runs a triple option first game gonna be in boise um, not going to be an easy. George Southern is not a bad team, but um, I feel good about the game being in Boise and having time to prepare. The next game would be at Air Force, which kind of works nice because you have two back-to-back triple option teams in a row. Um, Air Force loses a starting quarterback. I'm not going to get into that situation. You never want to see um, an el- a player or a cadet lose eligibility, um, but that's a boon for us. So um, playing two triple option back-to-back will be helpful. There is going to be some wear and tear, but I think Boise State will be able to pull off that victory at Air Force. Then you got Florida State at home. I think this is going to be the toughest game of the schedule. Um, obviously, a lot of players are probably saying that as well. Um, Florida State has a ton of talent. They returned two of their best players that were both um, draft eligible, probably going to go in the first or second round. They came back for some unfinished business. They got a new head coach. Um, if this game happens and Florida State comes to Boise, I like the Broncos. Um, it's going to be a tough game, uh, but, um, you know, it's going to be at our house. We, you know, the last ACC game we had in Boise was against Virginia. We lost. I don't think we're going to let that happen this time, so I think Boise State wins that. Next game will be at Marshall. Um, 
you know, this is kind of a tough stretch because you got two triple option teams, then Florida State at home, then you're going to Marshall. So this is going to be a tougher game than um, maybe you would think, but the talent disparity is too much. Boise State will come out and grit out a victory, kind of like last year where they didn't really blow out um, Marshall, but they came out with a victory. So I think I think you'll see another good performance today. You might see some... Um, might see some secondary players coming in. Boise State might not run out the score, cover the spread in this game, but I like their victory. Next game is at home, San Jose State. San Jose State kept it a little bit closer than we thought last year on the road. Won't happen this year. Um, so that has Boise State moving to 5-0. and Then we got Utah State on the blue turf. We blew the crap out of Utah State. Expect the same thing this year on the blue turf. Give us that victory. Next week, we've got Hawaii. Uh, no Cole McDonald. No... Um, um, Coach Rolo on the islands going to be a tough game uh, to travel to. Um, Hawaii, not a bad program. You don't win the West Division by accident. But last year was a down year, so um, I think Boise State will be able to take care of business. And I think actually Boise State will be able to win pretty handily. Next game is UNLV at home. Um, <laughs> a lot of UNLV fans have been making chatter. And you guys got a lot to be excited about in the future. But this year on the blue turf, no chance. Uh, we got them. That means we got Boise State at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and zero right now. BYU on the blue turf. BYU's never been Boise State on the blue turf. That won't happen in twenty twenty. Um, BYU's got a pretty good program. You know, athletes, good players. But um, you know, last year with their backup quarterback on the road, we kept her pretty close. We lost. Um, no, no excuses. Tip the cap. BYU won. But you know, we had our backup quarterback. Tough game on the road. We lost. It's not going to happen in Boise. New Mexico on the road. I like Broncos winning there. Um, Coach Long is going to take over that defense. So New Mexico, like UNLV, is on the right track. But they're just not in a good spot right now. So I got Boise State winning big. We got on the road at Wyoming, November 21st. I got a room booked in a hotel in Laramie. Because if that game is played, I'm going to be there. I don't care how cold it is. Um, It's going to be a tough one. You know, you talk about Florida State. Maybe being the toughest game. This might also be the toughest game. Uh, Wyoming's a good team. Good defense. Um, good team top to bottom. The snow is going to play a role because it'll take away some of the dynamic um, aerial versatility that Boise State has to offer. But I like the Broncos. They're, we're just a better team top to bottom. It's going to be a tough game. That's going to be the game you should have circled. Last game of the year, Colorado State. Um, is it a gimme? Yes. But Colorado State, new coach. They'll try to make it interesting on the blue turf, but Boise State will go ahead and win, clinch that up 12-0. and 0. Um, I'm going to predict, I don't know, San Diego State looks like they're going to be the favorites, but I don't know. Nevada, Fresno State, you know, Hawaii, shoot, you never know who's going to come out the West, but that game will be in Boise, and I like Boise State to win 13-0, and 0, and I like a trip back to um, the NY6. Um, you know, I think the AAC... You know, UCF, it's not easy to run the table. Cincinnati also looks good. Um, Memphis, you know, lost their coach. It's it's hard to go 12-13-0, and I think Boise State will pull off this year. I really like how the Broncos look, and I hope there's a season. Uh, go Broncos. All right, on to record time, prediction time. Boise still has, as of this recording, Sunday, July 26. Am I correct, Matt? They still have a 12-game schedule? That is correct. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> I I don't we don't need to get about who they'll play, who they won't play, because you've heard about all these other Pac twelve, Big Ten clearly canceling their non conference, ACC, Big Twelve, SEC come to like a plus one model. 
So I think mm-hmm. Boise could be safe with that Florida State game because that's a pretty big game for Florida State as well. Boise's obviously a good team, and as long as they have the same uh, protocols, I don't see why that game would be moved around. But their opener, they get Matt the back-to-back triple option: Georgia Southern at Air Force. Yeah. So what's up? I need to do a uh, better research, but. Can we say the triple option is not an issue for Boise anymore and make, make that joke go away because that's not really the case anymore? Well, I mean, they they handled it, I would say, pretty well last year against the Falcons. Yeah. It's not easy to do, but it's not like a uh, laughing matter as it was a couple years ago. But, I mean, that that's not to say that, you know, they still don't need to be disciplined or anything like well, that. And that's clearly. where, you know, going back to the, the question that I had about the defensive line, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them early on to come out really flying out the gate and making stops and things like that, or, or making life easier for the linebackers at a minimum. Oh, definitely, yeah. Because again, like I'll mention all the time, if you're not, it's one versus eleven. If you're not paying attention to whoever running the ball quarterback, you get burned. That's what the game could be, where it could make that one little bit of change. It's like crap. A ten, a ten yard break, a ten yard run, it could be like a forty yard run because you have an arm tackle. Yeah, and that's because, you know, even though Georgia Southern wasn't quite as successful as they were in 2018, you know, they still went bowling last year. Um, they were 7-6, and six, and they've got basically everybody who touched the ball on the ground coming back. Yeah, eight total eight offensive starters are back. Including their leading rusher, Wesley Kennedy, who, even though he only touched the ball 119 times last year, do you know what his per carry average was? No, but I do have here 824 yards. 6.9 yards per carry. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. In nine games only. Yeah. 11 yeah, touchdowns. I think, I think he was suspended early on, if I'm not mistaken. I just have here they played nine games. You got J.D. King. You have quarterback Shea Wirtz. They have a lot of guys back. And offensive line returns three starters, including both tackles. So mm-hmm. who cares about receiving group? They were last dead last in 25 yards per game. This is clearly going to rely upon the defensive line linebackers to not get – burned or tricked or misdirected on these plays and secondary just needs to make sure not have those because i could see georgia southern in any game all you're going two for six and like 67 yards you know what i mean where yeah, yeah, yeah. two deep passes so this is a game and where they, and they were pretty and they were pretty good on defense last year like they weren't like elite on defense but they were also pretty solid especially when it came to you know, defending the run. I threw out a lot of those advanced metrics you know, earlier, like line yards per carry, opportunity rate, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, on defense, Georgia Southern was like right there in pretty much every single one of those things. You know, they were like 29th on stuff rate, fourth in power success rate, and a lot of those guys in the front seven are coming back. You know, Raynard Ellis, I think, was the most disruptive playmaker last year. He broke up three passes at eight and a half tackles for loss. He's back. Uh, Rashad Bird next to him in the linebacking court. He's back. He had seven tackles for loss and two sacks. Randy Wade is back. So they've got some playmakers up front, and it's not you know you might think oh Sun Belt team no big deal. Mm. Georgia Southern's no, Georgia Southern's not to be trifled with. It's true. They like again like one thing about their defense why it's so good is because when you play a type of offense they they led the Sun Belt in um, tackles for loss I believe last year it was and pretty good against the run. But part of it is when their offense, because there will be drives where it's eight plays, 10 plays, 14 plays, the defense just chills and hangs out, and they're not getting burned or playing a million different plays out there. So they'll be rested, which is an advantage compared to like the three and out teams, Washington State or like Hawaii, where the running gun, you get literally a two minute break between your last play to going back in there. And so if this offense for Jordan Southern can make headway against Boise's defense, which 
they'll move the ball. It may it may just take a long time to get down the field, but that's one way to where this defense, where it's still talented, still brings back most of your top guys. That's an edge they have compared to other teams where the offense kind of lets them have an extended break. Yeah. So any so what's your prediction for this uh, game? Is Boise just going to get the win? It's at home. It's at Albertson Stadium, September fifth. I want to say is that the opener? Uh, yes. Yeah, September fifth. Um, so SB Plus gives Boise State an eighty-three percent chance to win this game. It's pretty good. I think it's a touch high. I mean, I think it'll be more competitive than a sixteen-point projected margin. But I do think that the Broncos should be able to hold serve at home. So I have this one penciled in as a win. I do too. I do think that 80%. I could see it being like a – maybe they win by 16 points. Maybe they win by 12. But it'll be – part of the reason why it'll be closer than that, I think, is just because the opportunity to score points is not going to be there. Possessions will be yeah. limited. Like This could be a game where you have like six total possessions. Exactly. And if you score in half of those, that's only 21 points and throw all touchdowns. So that's – I think it's a, not a toss-up, but I think Boise is an edge. But it'll be – competitive just partly because of the way Georgia Southern, the Eagles play their offense. Yeah. And then we got Air Force, um, which we talked a couple of times. We had to amend that a little bit. This is on the road um, over there in Colorado Springs playing at the Academy. I initially had as the Air Force win, but with Donald Hammond III gone, not a chance. This is going to be in the case. So if you haven't heard, Donald Hammond III is not um, in good standing is the official word, official word from Air Force. Likely, Matt, as we know, probably means he's not going to play this year. Yeah, and if, if past precedence is any indication. Yeah, I think three or four guys and gals on various athletic teams, basketball, football, haven't come back. But this is still going to be – it's going to be good for Boise because they'll have a tune-up for a similar type of offense. So it's not a huge change week to week, which is pretty big. Um, I guess the biggest concern is like Kaden Remsburg. This will be an upgraded offense over Georgia Southern. And before the changes were made, like the – do you know if Bill C. changed – because he just tweeted out the Boise State thing the other day. Do you have any clue if um, – his Air Force ranking it takes into account for Donald Hammond not being around? I don't think so. No, SP Plus is usually blind to that kind of thing. Okay. Unless it's, yeah. I'm I guessing that they will have some kind of adjustment when, it's, when it gets a little bit closer to the season. Yeah, as we can Fingers, fingers crossed we have a season. Yeah, so please, yes. Um, at 66%, which I felt was a bit high, I feel that's probably what it should be right now without yeah. Hammond because the Air Force has talent. Um, I'm going with an Air Force, or excuse me, a Boise victory. I made a switch to mine before. But it'll be a game where, like, we kind of back and forth with our buddies on Twitter. Air Force, like, I don't – I clearly acknowledge Boise has the edge over the past decade of the series or past seven or eight games. Boise's won the past three, but there hasn't been any real blowouts in a long time. Like, yeah. last year's game was closer than expect, or was closer than the final score indicated a little bit. Boise pulled away. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, like, that not fluke, but a very acrobatic catch for Boise State to continue to drive for a TD – Air Force has won all. Also, Air Force, I believe, if I'm correct, have they won all three games at home against Boise State? Uh, I don't have that information in front of me. I'm not totally sure. I'm going to pull it up here real quick. But, like, while Boise has the edge, it's not like a dom. Well, despite winning three in a row, um, but Boise has won, which clearly that's the objective to all this. And they have the edge overall. But there's only, I believe, I'm trying to check it out, but I think only two games where it's been over 14 points. Mm-hmm. So they cleared the. Again, like for me, if you're considered like a dominant team over anybody year and you're out, you got to win by at least like 17 points or so. Mm-hmm. So real quick, looking, uh, you have um, where's the location of these games? I'm trying to check, but yeah, it's been three of the split the last three games, but Boise's won last three. Um, let's see here. Oh, sorry, no, Air Force has lost two years ago, but they have won. They played that weird. I guess they split home and road. They've won. It's basically split down the middle, and so. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, I'm trying to fumble in here, but like the. Boise 
like their blowout victories, like 44 to 19 was huge. And then also 42 20. But besides that, you go back to 2011, it's been basically one very close games within two possessions. And so yeah. I'm still going Boise to win because of no Hammond. And just, I think Hammond, I think he's a pretty big deal for me. But it's a Boise's going to win, but it won't be. I still would still say it's going to be within 14 points. Yeah. It's not going to be any blow. Any Anything else you want to add to this particular matchup? Or I, is Hammond not playing enough for to say Boise is going to win? No, I think we're good. And then we got Florida State. I You've been putting some stuff on Twitter about this game. What, what's your, uh, besides it being Florida State and Albertson Stadiums, again, fingers crossed, you said, wait to hear my Florida State preview. What do you got? Well, I mean, this isn't <laughs> going to be the same Florida State team as last year. I mean, they have a lot of talent, but they were kind of a mess under Willie Taggart, you know? You're being kind, kind of a mess. Kind of a mess, yeah. But I mean, when you kind of, when you take a step back and, and see what their productive players were able to really do, and what they have coming back for 2020, like this isn't a team that, you know, and, and I think you would have said the same thing last year too, but like you can't take this team lightly because, you know, James Blackman, when he's been healthy in, in control of the offense, he's been, I would say, an above average quarterback, not necessarily an elite one. You know, he completed 63% of his passes last year. He had 17 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Um, you know, losing Cam Akers is going to hurt, mm-hmm. but they've got, you know, two guys last year who, in limited time, they averaged five and nine yards per carry, uh, respectively. And they've got one of the better receivers in the country in Tamorian Terry. And I think that with an offensive-minded coach like Mike Norvell at the helm now, I, I, it's it's hard to say just how much of a leap forward they're going to take, but I would be willing to make a healthy bet that they're going to take at least a, a, a modest tip, step forward from the kind of in, inconsistent, uh, inconsistency, excuse me, that really plagued them the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah you would think so, because um, if you watch Memphis at all last couple of years, big plays, big running yeah. plays, big passing plays, and I'll bring that forward. And then also running game to bring in Texas A&M transfer Deshaun Corbin could, mm-hmm. be, could be there right away. But their biggest concern, like Blackman, you mentioned he's experienced, I believe, 28 games he started, somewhere around there. So mm-hmm. it's two full years coming. That's a huge deal. Any experienced quarterback, new coach, kind of maybe offset that touch, especially not being able to practice. But the offensive line was a big issue last year. And it's been going back for the past couple of years before Jimbo Fisher left. And so yeah. if that offensive line can get a little bit better, and it helps to have an experienced quarterback back there to kind of coach him a little bit too. And maybe the coaching staff will make plays that can um, limit any like um, bad offensive line, like rollouts, play action, stuff like that. But that's an area in their offense where that's if they're going to be, I'll just say bowl eligible because Florida State hasn't been great in a while. That's kind of what they need to be have a better offensive line. Like this will be a tough game for both teams. Like both teams are projected around top forty ish preseason. When you look at like Phil mm-hmm. Steele, College Football News, Athlon, they'll have them like in that top forty ish range. And so it's going to be. I hope it's better than last year. Last year kind of sloppy a little bit here and there, but it's a. Uh, this is this is clearly a toss up game in my opinion. Well, I mean, we haven't even talked about the defense. What about and the I defense? think that you know, if Mike Norvell is going to have an impact on the offense, if, who they brought in could be you know someone who makes a finally gets the guys on defense to play up to their potential. Because I was reading this article not that long ago from Pro Football Focus. They put together like their top 50 prospects for this year. Um, Florida State has five players on that top 50. Hmm. And if my, if my math is correct, they have four of them who are defensive players. You know, Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden up front. 
you know, Terry at the wide receiver who we talked about a minute ago, Asante Samuel at cornerback, Asante Samuel Jr., excuse me, and uh, Hamsan Nasiralin. So, you know, those are guys who were very uneven <laughs> under Willie Taggart, but if they could get their act together, you know, let's not forget that Boise State was down by double digits in this game. And back, yeah. it really took a lot of mental mistakes for Florida State to let them back in. And that's not necessarily given to happen, or that's not a given to happen a second time. No, it's not. They bring back 10 starters, including those guys you mentioned. But they were nearly the bottom in yards per allow. They couldn't, the secondary couldn't stop anybody to save their life. They were 300 yards a game. And so it's like the thing you meant, we mentioned all the time. Yeah, you got experience coming back, but it sucked last year. How better is it going to be? And then mm-hmm. you count, encounter a new head coach, no spring, no offseason to speak of. How much better can you be? And, oh, it's week two and on the road going across the country. So no, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know. what, do you, what I, I am torn on this game because SP Plus has it about, what do they have it as? Um, they give Boise State a 47% chance to win this game. Basically a toss-up at home. Yeah. What do you got? I got Florida State. So do I. I don't want to say it, but I have Florida State winning. I struggle because I think it could go either way with how bad that defense was. Um, I just think it's what they have, like if Blackman's experienced Sky, and if Norvell can get his offense going in any shape, form early on, that's going to be the big difference. If the offense sputters and Norvell's not getting those big type of plays or being explosive as he wanted to do or has done before, that's where Boise can win. I still think they could win. I don't see – like I'm not putting – like. That's why I put a toss-up. There's no reason for me to say either team could win, but I could. It's either team can win this game. It's just simple as that. It's yeah. a better recruiting for ACC, which it's hurtful but truthful who they can bring in. But then again, Florida's altitude coming into Boise from down Tallahassee. It's going to be a good game. Like It could be something like last year where it's going to be a close game either way. I just lean toward Florida State because I don't know if they'll beat them twice. And Boise's already played two very different opponents run-heavy opponents as well, which Florida State will not be. And so I, I'm i not doubting Boise to win the game, but right now I'm not going to predict them to win, partly because I'm not going to pre- predict them to uh, like go undefeated because that's where I have lost right here. Mm-hmm. All right, then we get to the other non-conference game going to Marshall, which can it be better than last year? Because last year's game was just dreadful to watch. It was horrible. Well, if you like defense, it was good to watch. I don't like red zone miscues all the time. <laughs> no, that's reasonable. <laughs> can I go that route where the outfit just totally screws up? I'll allow it. Thank you. I appreciate it. They play Marshall on the road in Marshall's uh, West Virginia Conference USA. This game is um, about 70% projected victory for Boise State. It's uh, September 26th, so it's their two road games the first month. Um, but when we look at Marshall, I'm trying to see. What I have my notes here. I, I'm missing my notes. Do you have your, anything to add to Marshall real quick while I pull up my notes? I just closed, apparently. <laughs> I mean, they've been fairly consistent <laughs> over the last few years. I think they've definitely been more of a defensive team than an offensive team and if you watched last year's game against Boise State you definitely yes. got that impression <laughs> no kidding um I think the biggest news of the offseason is the fact that if I remember correctly I saw a headline not too long ago that their starting quarterback from last year Isaiah Green decided to transfer that's not good when the offense I'm looking here here's some of my notes they um failed to score more than 36 points against any team that wasn't an FCS team yeah <laughs> that's not good <laughs> But, yeah, if they lose their quarterback, uh, I'm trying to check real quick as well, but lose their quarterback, offense that wasn't very good, going up against a Boise defense, which, as we mentioned, does lose some key players, but that secondary is really, really good. This should be 
similar to last year, at least the defensive side for Boise State should be able to shut them down. Yeah, I think so. Because that would be a problem. Is there anything on defense that could slow the Broncos down from Marshall's side? Well, I mean, they've lost a couple of their playmakers, like Omari Cobb moved on, Marquise Couch moved on. Um, they've got some guys coming back, including their leading tackler, Tavante Beckett, who racked up 121 last year, and that includes you know five tackles for loss, four pass breakups, two sacks. So, you know, he's a guy who could very easily be an all-conference USA type of performer. Um, Darius Hodge was, you know, played well when he was healthy last year. He's coming back. Um, so, I mean, they've got some pieces, but it's just really hard, you know, especially after last year where it seemed like, you know, the offense was really hit or miss from week to week, especially against strong defenses. Like, you know, they, they lost 14 to seven to Boise. They also gave up 52 points to Cincinnati and scored only 14 points. Um, and so, you know, if they're similarly offensively challenged, I think it's going to be really hard for the herd to win this game. So I have Boise State winning that one. I have Boise State winning as well. And also, Isaiah Green isn't a transfer portal. Wrote a lengthy note on Twitter, which basically means he's not coming back when yeah. you write a long note. So him being gone doesn't help either. And it looks like there's possibly suggesting like maybe Xavier Gaines be the starting quarterback. Mm. Um, so that's a possibility as well. So we'll see how that goes. But I think defense from Marshall could keep it close, but it'll it'll be here's what I think the game will be. It'll be closer than people expect, but Boise should still win. Yeah, I mean, I think Boise is going to ultimately end up winning more comfortably than they did last year. Yeah, but I could, but I mean, like a a fourteen point victory wouldn't surprise me with with Marshall's defense. But mm-hmm. it'll be that's what I mean, closer than expect. Like, do the Boise fans expect to beat Marshall thirty five to seven? I would hope that's not the norm. But if they win twenty one ten or twenty one seven, they might be a little bummed out when they don't score as many points, but they still win by two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So, all right, next game, next couple of games, they got San Jose State, which um, should be victory, right? Yeah, at home. But we'll get to them. Where that's one of the teams we'll preview next couple weeks. But new quarterback, obviously, they got Trey Walker. Uh, but we'll get to them down the road. I don't think they have enough firepower to keep pace with Boise State, Utah State. We should mention them a touch more than normal, Matt, because Henry Columbia is gone, transferred down to a Texas Tech to fall Matt Wells, and you have Jason Shelley from Utah, who was in the 2019 uh, or 2018 Pac-12 title game, lost against Washington. So they have experience there. They also got Devonte Henry Cole from I. I don't know if it's officially official, but He's coming for, to Utah State from BYU where he never played, but also was at Utah before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a bunch of changes, so keep around for that. So they, that'll be interesting. Or I guess our Utah State preview is kind of out of whack or out of date at the moment. But those are a couple of things to note. It'll add, the, add, the running, add running back depth to them. Um, Gary Anderson's second year there, second 2.0, whatever I'll call it, year again, return of year two, I guess, for Gary Anderson. But with what they have going on, with – New guys coming in like that, especially quarterback. I, I, I don't think Utah State could hang with Boise State at all this year. No. So that's a loss for me. Then they got – what do we say about going to Hawaii? That's going to be an interesting matchup. It's Especially if Hawaii can avoid imploding this time around. Yeah. Because you know, when they played on the blue the first time, that was really – what buried them early is they made like what like it was like two or three turnovers or something like that. It was not good. Yeah, and so I think if they can take care of the football, they should be able to hang around because you know we talked about it on the Warriors podcast. The offense should still be pretty potent, even despite having to replace so many so many players like Cole McDonald and but Chevin Cordero's coming back, and mm-hmm. 
you know, having to replace you know, Cedric Ward in Jojo, uh, excuse Cedric Bird, excuse me, in Jojo Ward. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, Jared, Jared Smart's coming back. Uh, Aaron Cephas is coming in from Rice. He's averaged 18 yards a catch in his career. Uh, Rico Bussey Jr. had a thousand yard season two years ago. So, I mean, the, the defense might still be optional in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which should enable the Broncos to uh, score a lot of points. But I'm fully expecting a very exciting shootout between these two teams. You think it'd be a shootout? You think Utah State will finally put up points again this year? I think so. I don't know. It's a. I know I'm, I like Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren running back there. But I, the offense didn't inspire me last year. I thought we were talking about Hawaii. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Oh, geez. I was staring at Utah State pitcher in front of me. Never mind. Scratch that. I'll keep it in because I apparently uh, went back a step. No. Okay, shootout. Uh, no, I, I can agree with that. Can we just... Um, Agree. I like to say this. Can we just agree, Matt? Be better than the title game last year. More competitive. The title game didn't really get away from Hawaii until the second half, though. It still did, but it still did. It did. As did the Air Force game, where they pulled away in the second half as well versus Boise State. Um, no, I think. You no, know, I think you could be right because also what we don't know about Todd Graham's offense, like, is he going to be the coach that comes in to change a lot or kind of stick with what's going? Because he got the transfer receiver from North Texas. We mentioned all the other receivers. On this team, the Miles Reed running game, there is potential for a shootout. But if you, like your confidence level in the Boise secondary is, if you're hyped up as much as you think they would be, and I think they'll be good, you think so? You're saying Hawaii can penetrate that secondary and get some points going then? I mean, I, as good as the secondary was last year for Boise State, they weren't infallible. You know, we talked about mm-hmm. San Jose State a minute ago. That's right. Let's not forget that the, you know, Josh Love threw for over 400 yards yeah. and they dropped 42 points on this. Now team. that was a shootout, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I could definitely see a similar kind of thing happening with the with the Warriors. You know, I think the biggest difference between that game that happened and the game that could happen is that Hawaii still has a, a much better running game than the Spartans had last year because Miles Reed is back and he had over 900 yards last year. And was really integral to making that passing offense work. I think also being on the road will help Boise or help, excuse me, help Hawaii a little bit, just because it's tough to get out there travel wise. But I'm ultimately leaning with a Boise victory. But yeah. I think it'll be it'll be one of their. Is that going to be their toughest road game? Maybe no, they got a couple other ones. I think one of them. One of them. Air Force still tough, but not without Donald Hammond. Okay. Yeah. The UNLV victory, right? Because uh, that's a win. No, unless Charles Williams goes nutty with 400 rushing yards, I don't know how they're going to win. Um, then you get BYU. We've mentioned them. It's a bunch at home. BYU is at uh, this is going to be a revenge game after losing last year. But as we mentioned, BYU, if you haven't heard before, they uh, lost a running back as we just mentioned, Devonta Henry Cole leaving or Dante. Sorry. Um, if you listen to this, of quarterback issues, or at least that's the perceived issues. With uh, all three guys, which with Boise is very familiar last year, right? Watching, uh, shoot, who was it started last year? Was it Jaron Hall that started? Or was it, no, Romney. Was that who it was? I forget. I think it was the Romney guy who came in and just beat, beat, Boy, beat, beat Boise State playing in Provo. Um, I guess what I would suspect would be the biggest um, overmatch in this game would be the second. It's like what we said earlier. We'll believe you until he proves otherwise. Same with BYU's wide receivers. Show up, and then maybe we'll take you seriously for once. All they have is Matt Bush, which you hear me said a couple of times with tight end. But I think the secondary is going to, um, for Boise State, just shut that down. I also think the running game takes it by losing the transfer to Utah State. So I think this will be a revenge victory for Boise State, getting them at home. But I do think there is potential, because whoever's at quarterback, if it's, I don't think it's Jaron Hall, but if it's Zach Wilson or Baylor Romney, they'll be still pretty good. It's just with BYU the past couple of years, 
they don't have extremely great receiving threat to trust have me trust them against anybody, but I think Boise's learned from last year is going to not fall to the hands of the Cougars. Yeah, I agree. Do you think it'd be close, or do you, are you fairly confident like this will be a... I don't think it'll be close. Ooh. So, like, over 10 points? Yes. All right. New, add New Mexico, win, right? Mm-hmm. And then they go... And then we'll skip... And then we got the final two games. At Wyoming, well, I, I assume that's the other game we're referring to being difficult on the road, right? Yeah. So I saw, you see PFF has like Wyoming ranked as the best linebacking unit? Best linebacking unit? I think that's what they said, yeah. I thought it was the defensive line. Oh, did I misread that? Okay. Well, I saw that, because I saw Solomon Bird's comment about... Um, no, top five. They do have them. Oh, that, that was for last year. That's why. Oh, man. PFF, quit giving me last year's stuff. I want this year's yeah, stuff. Yeah, because Solomon, Solomon Bird <sighs> was making a comment about Missouri's linebackers. Yeah. He'd be like, didn't one of those guys get stiff-armed? <laughs> And so I went back and I looked, and it was actually a, it was actually a safety that Sean Chambers stiff armed on his long touchdown run. Guess um, what? You got stiff armed by quarterback. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> um, let, me, let me rephrase what I see. I like PFF, but sometimes they dig a bit deep. Like Matt, let me get the um, the two the four quarterbacks who had three passes over sixty seven yards and rank that. It's like, are you saying that's not useful? It's I'm kidding. It's fine, but come on, it's weird. But, okay, what I'm actually getting at here, sorry to say, go off on PFF and me not reading some of their tweets. Um, but this is going to be one heck of a game. This, of the schedule for Boise State, this is the game I'm looking forward to the most. I agree. Because whoever's quarterback, at this point, we'll clearly know, it'll be either Sean Chambers or Levi Williams. Again, my preference is Williams because he can do more at the offense. Well, we've already mentioned Wyoming in our previews before, like the, the Lewis Logan Wilson, Cash Moema up to New England. Both guys drafted Bengals for Wilson. They bring back, do they have, was their offensive line, I know we mentioned, was their offensive line the most, them in Hawaii, the most returning offensive line in the conference? Uh, yes. Okay, so they have that coming back. And then clearly they have arguably one of the best players in the conference, Xavier Valade. Yeah. This is going to be a game where, I it's going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it right now, it's a toss-up for me. And if everything is health-wise, like, not COVID health-wise, but just typical football health-wise, I'll probably leave Boise State. But remember what happened? Well, I mean, the safety dance, they beat teams that come into their town. They get those victories uh-huh. over really good teams. Like, And this team, again, receiving group, we talked about that replacing most everybody. But you have a good running back. Whoever's a quarterback, you should be confident in. And that'll be a huge difference. Like, if it's Chambers, that'll kind of – put away the secondary for Boise State for the most part because he's not going to throw very much. And so while that may seem as a disadvantage, if he's running and him and Valade both can run and do those things, like they'll take on the front seven and not worry about it. But with Williams, I don't know what to make because if he can run nearly as well, then opens up the passing game, that can bring up a lot of different positions. But you have a bad, oh, not bad, excuse me, a inexperienced receiving group. And then Boise says George Solani can run the ball. All these receivers deep, they have, uh, it's, this is a game where, it's going to decide the Mountain Division title, in my opinion. This is the game to watch it here, and I'm glad it's sitting late in the season. Yeah, I can see that scenario. So what's your kind of, I guess, stupid early keys to the game or something that you want to look for? Well, I mean, this is where you're you're looking at, you know, Boise's perhaps its biggest questions versus Wyoming's biggest strengths. Yes, You know, exactly. especially in the trenches, you know, because – let's not forget last year, even with a backup quarterback, the Cowboys were able to take them to overtime, um, mostly by shoving it down Boise State's throat. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they came into this game with a similar kind of game plan. 
you know, especially since, as we talked about on the Cowboys podcast, like if, if they can stay healthy up front, you know, they've got a lot of experience on the offensive line and they've got a lot of, you know, young guys coming up on the defensive side. So I could definitely see this kind of devolving into, you know, one mistake makes the difference in this game. Also, did you know who the starting quarterback quarterback was last year for the Cowboys? Yeah, it was Tyler Randall. Yeah, it was neither guy who's coming this time around to start to play. Um, yeah. Here's how I think it can play out how well we could win against stupid early. I was joking. This needs to be a valid A30 plus game. He had 37 carries last year in this game. That's exactly what I meant by saying they basically yeah. <laughs> they, they stayed in the game by shoving it down Boyce's throat. Exactly. And so that's what I think would happen. Like, I wouldn't be shocked. This is the game, like, I'm least confident. I'm more confident in Boise, or I can't say that because I have Florida State winning, but as the games are winning, this is like a least confident game I see them winning. Mm-hmm. Partly because everything else is like Hawaii will be re- a little bit difficult. BYU, just because they beat them last year and they've had some pretty epic end of, end of scenario games like a couple years ago, like the uh, pick six and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm going Boise State, but it's going to be, I'm, I hope it's a good game. But I think Boise can get it. Even though it's on the road, that'll be a tough one. Yeah. What do you got? I have Boise State winning that oh, one. Oh, that's too. right. We already discussed a couple weeks ago. Just making sure. All right. Then you go to CSU at home. Boy, I know our Boise, Boise people listen. Like, why do you care about CSU? They blew 28-3 leads. They can't win. and They've never beaten the Rams. Or the Rams never beat them. they got the new shiny stadium. They can't do anything. they got this great receivers every year. They can't win. Is this the year they can get to victory, Matt? I think they've got a better chance this year than they have the last couple of years. Yeah. And they almost saw it last year. Yeah. Well, why, why is this year better than others, you think? I mean, I think that I, I would expect, and we talked about this on the Rams podcast, but I would expect that the defense will be a little bit better than they were last year. Because you know, we talked about it, how they kind of turned the corner, but how much is that ultimately going to mean going into 2020? Mm-hmm. But they've got a lot of talent coming back on that side of the ball. And with one of the better, you know, sets of skill position talent anywhere in the conference yet yeah, like you have to imagine that with with better coaching they should be able to give Boise State at least a run for their money in the same way that they did last year so you're telling me you like Steve Adagio more than Mike Bobo uh yes okay just I mean sure. I mean I think we have three years of evidence to say, <laughs> I know. Okay, we wanted Mike Bobo to work out in some you know in some weeks it did but on the whole it did not and so yeah, I think that you know it's not just Adazio. It's you know it's uh, Joey Lynch, the guy they brought in as the offensive coordinator. Who mm-hmm. I can't remember if I mentioned it on the Rams podcast, but he had one of, if not the best offense in the MAC last year at Ball State. You know, between him and and Chuck Heater coming in as the new defensive coordinator, I think they 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 should be better. Like they're not going to win just three or four games this year. I think for this particular game, because there's always the question with the Rams defense. Again, prove me until I change my mind. Really. This, I think if, if they're going to win this game, it's going to be kind of a lot of points need to happen. Yeah. Because I like I think Patrick O'Brien, like, maybe we'll probably do, we'll do a dark horse or breakout stuff later in the year. Maybe it'll be one of our big podcasts, depending on when the season begins. But, like, I would, like, this might be out there. People may call me crazy. I called this with Nick Stevens a couple of years ago. Patrick O'Brien, legit chance to be the best quarterback in the conference. And it's not mm-hmm. just because he's chucking it up to Warren Jackson. That helps. Like, Johnny Manziel throwing down to... um. Oh shoot, Mike Evans. Mike Evans. Yeah, so, yeah. That might be the case a little bit, but he when I saw him play, like I would not be shocked if he were to be named. Okay, maybe when I'm seeing him as second or third team, but like he he might be the best quarterback in conference. Like it's gonna be him, Bachmeyer, because this could be a great quarterback matchup in this game. Ramsey to find out who's gonna run the ball a little bit, but it'll be 
a lot of passing, and that's how if it's a low scoring game, that would mean the Rams defense is doing good. But I I would have to say if they're if they're going to win, the Rams would have to be all the points because if it's a low scoring game, that means Boise's clearly stifling the offense of CSU, and Boise can Rams defense is doing fine, but it's the options for this game to finish. Let me maybe make it a little more clear. If it's a shootout, I could I could see either team winning, but I could also see the Rams winning. If the Rams don't score points, their defense can't hang around yeah. to, to win this game. So that's what I mean. Like it, by low scoring, I mean the Rams not scoring enough to keep going. Mm. But despite that, I still have Boise State winning this game. Same. So what's your overall record for the Broncos? Uh, that would be eleven and one, eight and zero in conference. Same with the Florida State as the only loss. Yeah. What's your confidence level of them going undefeated? 20%? 20%? That's, that's one in five. That's I mean, that's how probability tends to work. I'm just saying. If you, I'm saying I if mean, you let's, get... put it, let's put it this way. By SP Plus, the most likely scenario for the Broncos is that they win nine games this year. Correct. They give them a 26.8% chance to win nine games, and they give them a 26.4% chance to win 10 games. And 18 and a half to win 11 plus. Yes. Look, I, I agree. I think, like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they're going to feed. Like, if I'm going through, I know I have a couple of toss-ups listed there. Like, actually, two. Well, I mean, Florida State. Like, if we're kind of, like, a little grimmer side, like, the only other games I could probably see them losing would be at Hawaii, maybe BYU, maybe CSU, but that's reaching. Not that they'd lose all of those, but those could be possible possible losses. Just because how, historically, same with BYU and then with the Rams, possibility of what they should have. Like if they're gonna lose other games, like they're I'm not gonna like if they lose fewer than like if they win nine games, that's probably like my basement for them. But I could twenty percent high. I'd say maybe fifteen. They go undefeated. But when you look at every game, they are favored as people as every single game except for four. Saying that's forty seven percent. So like in a vacuum, they should win basically every game except for the one. One thing I'm interested about this year, depending how I don't even know when the polls come out. Aren't the AP coaches poll come out in a couple weeks? I believe they need to come out. Like I, the, I don't know that off the top of my head. I think they typically come out like the second week of August. With the way the season's being shaped out, like who knows if there's a postseason or what it may look like. But Pac-12 is going to already said they're not starting until the third week of September. Mountain West hasn't said anything worth doing. Big Ten's probably leaning the same way just because they, they gutted all their conference game or non-conference games. What's really going to be helpful? I know the playoff committee, who knows, Bill Hancock has finally said, well, maybe we'll make some adjustments. Besides my idea of just going full-throated, expand the playoff to give conference champs the chance to get to, to make a run. If Boise is going to get to a New Year's Six consideration, it's not going to happen because UCF and Cincy are already getting put ahead of them. They need to be ranked in that same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it also depends on who they play. Like If they get to keep that Florida State game, that goes a long way. I'm not sure what UCF or Cincy's schedule actually is at the moment, like what games they've lost or if any. But if they can keep the Florida State game and are ranked or getting votes, I know that doesn't compare to what the committee will do, but you want that visibility of that number next to your name. And so if they're going to get there, they need to be ranked early on. Like if they're, if they beat Georgia Southern Air Force, I could see them being ranked at 2 0 going to the Florida State game, like maybe 22 or something. Because Air Force gets a lot of credibility being ranked last year. But I think, like, do you think that's accurate with if they're only playing nine games for some reason this year that they have to be ranked by week two? Yeah. Because I don't see there's any way to make it up, right? If you're all playing. Okay, just curious about I mean, that. I mean, any poll worth its salt is probably going to put them in the top 25 to start with to begin with anyway. But that's not going to be the case. 
We never you never know. know. I mean, I, I think, you know what? You know, if I'm going to make a prediction, I think that they will. I think they'll start the season ranked in the AP Top 25. Okay. Because I saw our buddy Pete Futek did his top, did his rankings. I think he put him in one. I forget, mm-hmm. he, he, he predicts the coaches and AP at collegefootballnews.com. I forget which one he did, but he had Boise in one of those, I want to say. I don't recall which one. But I'm just saying, like, if you're, if you're thinking just kind of pragmatically what's out there, if there's fewer games, you don't play these. Like, Boise's non-conference schedule, it's not great. You know what I mean? Like, Marshall, whatever, they might make a bowl game. Florida State's technically name only. BYU's a bowl team. They have a brand name, but, like, for actual on-field success, they're just okay. Like, a seven-win team, essentially, despite them winning last year. There's not many big-time games that people will take in consideration for them. So that's why you could get ranked sooner than later. But I just think out loud like the other day about that with New Year's Six stuff. If you're playing eight to 11 games, you got to make them count. And so yeah. get, get ranked early to get that, get out there. So anything else we need to add here for a Boise preview? I think we're all set. All right. So what's on the website right now, Matt? we got our top 50 countdown going on. Mm-hmm. We're working on individual team previews, like offensive, defensive, standout players. Um, I do have a game we might play on the podcast one of these weeks. Maybe we'll make it a season-long thing. I'll let you know offline what we're going to do because I just thought of it moments ago. But check it out. You're doing the top 50. Is award season officially over now, preseason? Uh, the bulk of it is. Uh, there are some uh, individual lists that are st- like, I have no idea when they're coming out, like the 10 Hendricks Award, uh, the Earl Campbell Tyler, uh, Tyler Rose Award, things like that. So there's, we have uh, a couple. We have our tracker pinned. We do. So you can go take a, take a look at that. We'll be updating that over the next month. Yeah, Maxwell O'Brien, just to do a walker. So, okay. But we got plenty of stuff going on. We're going to have some other fun stuff going on. Good luck our previews and especially news stuff, Matt, because news is pretty big right now of what's played or not played. But Check us out at mwr.com. We'll be back next week. To uh, We have three teams left. We have New Mexico, San Jose State. No, no we don't. Oh, wait, oh, wait, wait. No apologies. So, San Jose State. Yes. Fresno State. Yes. UNLV. That is correct. Okay, I got them right this time. Sorry. I, was, I don't know why I keep thinking New Mexico is not done yet. But, uh, yeah, check us out. Subscribe. Let us know what you think. You can make fun of me screwing a couple of times up this show because that happens. But uh, until then, we'll see you next time, folks.